Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody out this morning. Uh, if you are uh, still uh, trying to read through the Bible for this year, hopefully you're still uh, determined to do that. And maybe you've fallen behind. I just want to encourage you to not give up, just to keep on keeping on. And I know there was two different schedules that were out there on the table, and maybe you picked up one of those. The one that I'm on uh, by tomorrow, I should be done with Genesis. And so if you're uh, in, on that one, you should be done with Genesis by tomorrow. You may be ahead, you may be behind. But one of the things I hope you realize is it takes discipline. You have to be disciplined to make time every day to read God's Word. And hopefully you're determined to do that. And so I just want you to not get discouraged and not give up on it because God's Word is very important in our lives. We're talking about the Holy Spirit and we'll be talking about it for the next couple of weeks or so. And so, uh, because I, I think it's important to talk about because many people, I think, have a vague notion about that being that is found in, in the Scripture. And that being is the Holy Spirit. And part of that, I think, comes from the descriptions that we have of God. When we look at Jesus, we know that Jesus is God, but Jesus also has a name, and we can relate to that name. And so, we talk about God the Father, and God the Son, and we can relate to the relationships, because those things sound familiar to us, but the Spirit is kind of a general term, and how does the Spirit fit into that relationship with the Father and the Son? And so I thought it would be important for us to look at that. I know I had started this uh, years ago uh, when COVID kicked in. Uh, I think I got one sermon in on it, and then uh, things changed a little bit. But when we look at the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of uh, gaps that are there, we might say, and people want to use their imaginations to fill in those gaps. I think that it's important that we look at God's Word and allow God's Word to answer some of those things, and that's what we'll do for the next couple of weeks. You see, some see the Holy Spirit as some kind of mystical force. Not really a being like the Father and like the Son, but it's kind of an impersonal factor that's there or power that's there. And some believe that the Spirit is the Spirit of God, or is the Father's Spirit, just like each one of us has a spirit. But that's not the case. And so when we look at the, the Holy Spirit, we need to realize that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead. And typically the Bible speaks of God or the Lord, and few realize that that term God is a plural noun that it involves in many cases all three, and in some cases just the Father. But we also need to understand that that word by itself means that there are multiple components to the Godhead. And we see that word used, or the Godhead mentioned, in three different places in the Bible. In Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 29, it says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think of think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's devices. And so when we picture the, the God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we're not to imagine them in some graven way where we make some image, but we need to understand that they are all part of the Godhead. That they are, they are all one. They work together. 
And they have the same purpose and the same desire for all of us in mankind so that we can be saved. That's their desire. We can also see in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 where it says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Many people in the world want to say that there is no God, but I think that when we look in the world, we can see that the power of God in the creation, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but in the creation, all three were involved in that creation. And when we look at the power of God, man has no excuse. You know, the man that wants to say that there is no God, the Bible says is a fool. And he's foolish because why? Because there is a God. And the God that created this universe is the God that we need to heed. And so that would involve the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are included when we talk about the subject of God saving the world. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, And in Him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So in Jesus Christ, in God, in the Holy Spirit, all three are involved in that Godhead. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we can see that it is mentioned in multiple places in the New Testament. And we're going to look at just a couple where He's mentioned with the Father and the Son. In Matthew chapter 3, and verse 16, it says, "...in Jesus when He was baptized," which is the verse that Steve read for us. When He went straight up out of the water, we see Jesus in the water, and then we see the Spirit descend like a dove. doesn't say it was a dove in that passage, but it says like a dove, and it landed on Him. And then we heard the voice of God saying, this is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so you see the three distinct personalities. Jesus coming up out of the water, the Spirit descending like a dove, and God the Father still in heaven saying, this is My beloved Son. And so we see three separate entities that are there represented on that occasion. And you might remember when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said, All power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so we understand there that all three are involved in the salvation of one's soul. That when we're buried in that watery grave of baptism, we're buried in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They all are involved in our obedience to the Gospel. And so we need to understand that when we're proclaiming God's Word, we're telling what the Godhead wants us to proclaim. And that's why it's important that when we speak, and we speak as the oracles of God, that means that we're saying what all three want us to say based upon God's Word. And so it's important that we understand that. And, and, and we can see where they are all three involved. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 30. I think I skipped John chapter 15, verse 26. We'll back up here. In John chapter 15, we see there that Jesus is going to send the Comforter. Again, it shows us that the three are involved. But verse 26, "...but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father..." He shall testify of me. Again, you see all three that are involved. You see Jesus. He's going to send the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. 
And then we see that God is also involved in testifying of Christ. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 30, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye, not, that ye strive together with me in, my prayer, in your prayers to God for me. So when we pray to God, Jesus is involved and the Holy Spirit is involved. Again, you can see the three distinct entities, uh, deities that are mentioned there. We pray to God. We pray in the name of Christ. But we can see that the, the Holy Spirit helps us as we pray to God because sometimes we don't even know how to talk to God and it helps us in that area. In first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and verse 14, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communication of the Holy Ghost be with you all. There we see the grace of Jesus, we see the love of God, and we see the communion of the Spirit. All three, again, separately mentioned, so they're not all, the, it's not just one deity, it's three distinct parts of the Godhead. And in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. When it mentions that word, the word, that's talking about Jesus. Because we know in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down in verse 14 of that same chapter, we see that the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among men. And so that Word is talking about Jesus. And so again, we see that three bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, which is Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. All three are separate, but all three are one in purpose. They're united. They are, they have, and that's what Jesus prayed, that we would be united with them like they are. And so again, we should be striving for that. We also look at the, at the Holy Spirit, and we can see that the Holy Spirit is God, and that lying to the Spirit is lying to God. We can go over to Acts chapter 5, and there we see Ananias and Sapphira. And it tells us there, beginning in verse 1, "...but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thy own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy own power?" Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart that thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God? Well, didn't he just say that you lied to the Holy Spirit? Well, when you lie to one, you've lied to all. All three. And so that's what Peter points out here. And then we know as a result of that lie that they told that Ananias fell down dead. And then a little while later, his wife came in and confirmed the same lie. And then she was also fell down dead. The Bible says great fear came upon the church. So when we lie to the Holy Spirit, we're lying to God. God the Spirit. And, and there we see there's something uh, uh, unique in that situation. We can also see that demons are cast out uh, by the Spirit. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 28, "...but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come upon you." 
In Luke chapter 11, verse 20, But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. Again, we see that the Spirit, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a separate entity, but yet part of that Godhead. And it's part of what we see in the New Testament with our salvation, with miracles and different things that took place. We also realize that the Holy Spirit has the same characteristics that God has. That He can be everywhere. And that's kind of hard for us to understand. But as God is everywhere, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. It tells us in Psalms chapter 139 and verse 7, David asks this question, Where shall I go from Thy Spirit? Or whither shall I flee from Thy presence? We can't get away from God. We can't get away from the Spirit. We can't get away from Jesus Christ. They're everywhere. And that's hard for us to comprehend how that's possible. How can they see what's happening over here, but yet see what's happening on the other side of the world and all the way around it? That's why they're gods and we're not. We can also see that they are all, or that the Holy Spirit is all knowing. As 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 says, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. The Spirit understands. The Spirit knows because it's part of the Godhead. It knows what God wants. God the Father wants. And it knows what Jesus came here to do. It knows all about those secret things. Things that we may not be able to understand or even to comprehend if they told us. But the Spirit understands those things. We also see that they are able to do anything. The Holy Spirit is able to do just like God. Able to do anything. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, it says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Why would I put that verse in there? Because that's an, something that seems impossible for us that a virgin could give birth to a child. But with the Holy Spirit, just like with God the Father and God, and God the Son, all things are possible. And so that's why uh, that verse is the one that I use in Micah chapter 3 and verse 8. But truly I am full of the power of the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. There again, God, or God, the Holy Spirit is all-knowing and able to do anything, can be everywhere. And Michael was part of that where he gave him the power to see and to say the things that needed to be said. We also see that the Holy Spirit, like God, is eternal. As Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 tells us, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purged your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Again, just as God is has no beginning and no end, the Holy Spirit has no beginning and no end. It's eternal. 
Again, I think that that's a term that many of us have trouble comprehending because we're so attached to time on this side of, of eternity that we can't comprehend. And I've heard many different descriptions talking about how to describe eternity. But none of them really give the true meaning. It's a forever. And so it's hard for us to understand. But they've always existed. And they always will exist. He is the giver of life. In John chapter 3 and verse 3 through 6, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, and said unto, uh, Jesus said unto Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb, and he be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. He is the giver of life. A spiritual life. You see, when we're in our sin, the Bible refers to us as dead in our sin. But when we obey the Gospel, that Spirit is what makes us alive. The Holy Spirit is involved with that. Then when we obey God's Word, it's so important because that's where life is at. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus. That you're born of the water and the Spirit. The Spirit does its part in our salvation. We have to do our part in order to have that salvation. And so together they work and together we can work with, our, with, with the, the Godhead so that we can have salvation, but only when we're obedient to our Father, our sons, and our Holy Spirit's words that they have given to us. In Romans chapter 8, Verse 11, it tells us, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. You see, when the Bible talks about God living in us, the God the Father living in us, God the Son living in us, and we don't have a problem with that. And we understand when it tells us that They'll abide in us if we abide in them. We understand that. But when the, when the Spirit, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we kind of get a little off track. Because if the Father can dwell in us and Christ can dwell in us, then the Spirit can dwell in us also. And when we start talking about the indwelling of the Spirit, there's a whole other can of worms there that people sometimes want to open, which I think the Bible explains quite easily. And we'll talk about that in one of our lessons that we're going to have in the future. But I want us to understand that that Spirit lives in us. And because that Spirit of obedience has been in us, that we're going to raise again. We're going to rise again. And we're going to have that home in heaven if we've been faithful. We also realize that the Holy Spirit is, just like God, truth. You know, we, we, I think that verse was quoted this morning, God is the Spirit and we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Well, when it talks about God, all three are in spirit. And we have to worship them in spirit and in truth. And John chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, This is He that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit... Is truth. So God is truth. The Spirit's truth. Christ is truth. 
God's Word that He's given us is where we search and we find that truth. And so I don't think that there really needs to be all this imaginable things that people have to try to fill in what they don't understand. I think the Bible has the answer for us. My plan next week is to show us how some of these things that take place that the Spirit has talked about doing in the Bible. But it's important that we realize that these things about God are just as true about the Holy Spirit. We also see that He's a justifier. Because think about the church at Corinth. We've been discussing that in our Sunday morning class about all the problems that they had. And in 1 Corinthians the 6th chapter, Paul gives a list of things that people may be involved with that if they're involved in those things, they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But listen to what he says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That Spirit is involved with our justification. You see, when we are obedient to the Gospel, we represent or we go down in that watery grave and that represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We come up out of that water a new creature. And so the blood of Christ is what cleanses us, but the Holy Spirit is also involved in our salvation. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter's answer was, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That gift is salvation. The fact that we can have that relationship restored because our sins had separated us from God and through our obedience, we are reconciled back to God and the Spirit has something to do with that justification. And that's what we need to understand. We can see that the Spirit was involved in many things. We've seen that it's like God because it is a God. And we can also see that it's, uh, there's things that it's involved with. When we look at Genesis chapter 1 and chapter verses 1 and 2, we can see that the Holy Spirit was involved with the creation of the world. You know, we can read down further, we can see where God says, let us make man in our image. Who's that us? Well, that's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. There's that Spirit again. The Spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit that was moving about. We can see also later on that He taught and reminded the prophets and the apostles what needed to be done in First Peter chapter one, verses ten through twelve, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come upon you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand of the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desired to look upon. 
That's a fulfillment of what Jesus had promised, that they would have the Comforter come in John chapter 14 and verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, was involved with the message that the apostles taught. You might remember on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit had descended upon the apostles, the twelve. And then they began to speak in tongues, other languages that were present on that day so people could understand what was being taught. And that was the Holy Spirit that was involved with their ability to share that message with people who needed to hear the Gospel of Christ. Jesus tells us that He was going to send them the Comforter. And He told them where to tarry and wait for that Comforter to come. They were to tarry in Jerusalem. And that's where they were when the Comforter descended, when the Holy Spirit descended upon them. And that verse there in John makes it very plain. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. There's no doubt about who that Comforter was. But notice again, there again you see Jesus, a separate entity, sending the Comforter, which is a different entity, to help guide the apostles and the prophets. We can see that He bore signs or bore witness through signs and miracles. In John chapter 15 and verse 26, uh, it tells us that the Comforter is to come, whom I will send unto you for the Father unto the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father. He shall testify of Me. Those miracles that they were able to perform were to confirm the Word. And that Word came through the Spirit who guided them to write those epistles, to write those words that you and I have today that guide our lives when we study and apply God's Word to our lives. And so that Comforter was involved in testifying by proving uh, through those miracles that those individuals that were presenting that message were from God. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first being spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by us by them that heard Him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. That word has been confirmed. The Holy Spirit was involved with that confirmation of God's Word. We know that the Holy Spirit, those miraculous gifts that it bestowed upon individuals in the first century, no longer does that because that Word has been confirmed and no longer needs to be confirmed. You hear people say, well, you know, things should change in the Bible. I've heard people say we should throw out the Bible and write something different. Well, we can't do that because it's from God. And it's been proven and it's confirmed to be from God through those miracles that were performed and sometimes drew people in so they could hear that message. But it showed that those individuals had a message from God. There was something different about their message than those in the world. We can see that He guided the apostles in John chapter 16 and verse 13. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you in all truths. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. There again, that message was, the, the Spirit was involved with their receiving that message and teaching the things that they taught, not only on the day of Pentecost, but throughout the New Testament. 
we can see that He speaks through the Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. There again, that Spirit is involved with the truth. And that's the truth that it once presented, but there are people that are going to depart from that truth. People don't want to hear the truth. There are people today that may not want to hear the truth. There are people that may be here that may not like everything that the Bible says, but the Bible is truth. And we have to accept it. Why? Because it is from God. It is from the the Son. And it is from the Holy Ghost. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, and is appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. What is that word that they are to proclaim? Well, part of it is that gospel. The good news that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and He rose victorious over the grave. And because He did that, you can have salvation when you're obedient to His will. But I believe that that gospel not only involves that, but it also involves all the good news that is presented in the New Testament. And you say, well, when I read some of those things, I don't get good. I don't feel good about it because I know I'm not doing some of those things. Well, that's where you need to change because God has told us what we need to hear so that you and I could have salvation. The Bible tells us in Second Timothy chapter three and verse sixteen that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every or all good works. There again, we see that the Scripture is from God. It's God-breathed. All three are involved in that message that you and I have that we can read and study and learn about our Lord and Savior who came to this earth and died for our sins. And that Spirit will lead Christians when we follow His teachings. In Romans chapter 8, verses 12-14, through 14, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if we through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Again, that Spirit leads us. Now, I'm not going to wake up this morning and that Spirit is going to knock on my head and say, hey, this is where I want you to go today. That Spirit leads me when I put God's Word in my heart, in my mind, and I apply it to my life. And those Scriptures may come to mind when I'm tempted to do wrong. It may help me to straighten up and to do what's right and to make the right choices. There may be other times that the Scripture may motivate me to move and do something that I know I should do. I hear somebody that needs to hear the Gospel. That Scripture that tells me that I need to go may motivate me to go. Because you see in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, those individuals that were moved by faith, remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So when you read about Abel and when you read about Abraham and when you read about Noah and you read about uh, different ones, Moses and others, uh, doing what God told them to do, they were motivated because of the Word that God has spoken to them. And that faith in that Word motivated them to do what God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit wanted them to do. I ask you today, 
Are you motivated to do what God's Word wants you to do? What the Godhead expects you to do and wants you to do? You see, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 22, and verse 17, that the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. That Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is pleading and wants you to come. That bride, which is the church, those, those of us who are part of that saved group, that group that is destined for heaven if we remain faithful to our Lord, is saying, come. Those who are athirst, those who are hungry are saying, come. Why? Because God has the answer. Jesus has the answer. The Spirit has the answer. All of those things are there for us to help us so that we can have that home in heaven in the hereafter. The question really is, do you want to have that home in heaven? You see, sometimes we want that, 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 that heaven. We want that to be our goal. But sometimes we fail. It's sort of like you know what we're talking about in studying and reading God's Word. We, we have the desire. We want to read through the Bible. But there are so many other things that get in the way. The day may be full of busy things that we need to do. And so we don't have time today to read God's Word. Well, there's things like that in life that happens too where we want to do what's right, but we allow all the worldly things to get in the way. The things that really aren't as important as our spiritual condition. And that's why the Spirit is saying, come. Because the Spirit wants you to be saved. He wants you to be faithful. He wants you to have that home in heaven. And He tells us what we need to do in His Word. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You can do that today. Put your trust and faith in God. See, when you hear that message, and when you hear what Peter said on the day of Pentecost when they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, You crucified Christ. And they wanted to know, Well, what are we going to do? Can you imagine being in that group? And realizing that when you were the ones that were crying out, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And now you found that you've crucified the Son of God. Think about what that means to you. You're going to die and face God. You're going to face Christ. The person you cried crucify. I can imagine they wanted to correct that. That's why they cried out, what shall we do? And Peter's answer was repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. A gift is a salvation. Being rectified, justified, restored to the right relationship with God. But what did Peter say? You had to repent and be baptized. Why didn't he say you have to believe, repent, and be baptized? Well, obviously they already believed that Jesus was who Jesus, or, uh, Peter had claimed that He was and that He was now ruling at the right hand of God. That's why they were told to repent, because they already believed. And maybe you believe that you need to repent, and then you need to be buried with our Lord in baptism. Because without doing that, the Scripture plainly shows us that we can't say that we're in a saved condition. And so the Spirit says, Come. I want you to be saved. I want you to do what's right. And so this morning, if you're not faithful to God, if you're not even a child of God, and we would encourage you to be buried with our Lord in baptism to have your sins washed away so that you can be justified 
by the Spirit before God the Father. If you need to do that this morning, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row as together we stand and sing.